It's real. It's real. You know the deal. You know the deal. Come on. Hey, it's Shantae. And I'm Natalie. And welcome to What's the Deal? Podcast powered by the Norfus Firm. And at the Norfus Firm, we solve people problems. We work with employers all around the world, across different industries, on HR and DEI strategies. We have our first guest today. Wow, moving up in the world. Yes, and I'm really excited about this guest. Uh, she brings some knowledge we don't have, which we're always excited uh, to have those kinds of conversations. So what's the deal with neurodivergence in the workplace? That's such a great topic, such a timely topic. Um, we're seeing a lot of clients come to us with these concerns, especially after the pandemic, honestly. I feel like a lot of mental health um, just what people are dealing with started to show up even more so now in the workplace and folks are open to actually addressing it and talking about it and creating space and holding space for neurodivergence, any sort of mental health concerns that people may have. I know those are two different things, guys, <laughs> please don't come for me. Um, but we're going to get into all that now. And because we don't necessarily have an expertise in this area, we're going to do like what we ask our clients to do, which is go out, research, find experts, talk to them and gain the knowledge how you can. So, Yes. And so, you know, in terms of just recently, in terms of that practice, which you preach, we, we went to a DEI conference and uh, was happy to see that there were a number of sessions on uh, neurodivergence, which we know can be titled neurodiversity, cognitive diversity. Um, and so with that, I'm really excited to introduce DT Basin, who is the chief strategy officer at Flexibility. DT, welcome. We're really happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So can you start off by, uh, we always work, we want to hear about you, but we always like to start off with uh, shared language. So everyone is working from the same definition of a concept. So I know you use the word neurodivergence. Can you tell us what the definition is that you work from uh, for neurodivergence? Um, neurodivergence is any sort of cognitive um, functioning that would be different from a neurotypical person. So our brains are literally wired differently. Um, it's not something that we really have a ton of control over. I think disability is often left out of the conversation. Um, we have a few clients that have been more in the forefront of um, where we've done listening sessions and such with f folks that have disabilities. But I think generally it is not on the forefront of the conversation. No, folks talk a lot about race, ethnicity, sexual orientation. Um, disability comes up, but it's physical disability shows up right. more so than than Yes, they call it invisible disability, and which is great because we get to use talk about terms that how we should be talking about these things as opposed to what we think they should be. So I'm really excited about that part of the conversation too. So DT, why do you think disability generally, whether invisible or physical, has been left out of the DEI conversation? Um, truthfully, I think that it's a lot easier to be cognizant or aware of something when you can see it. So a lot of times with invisible disabilities, because it's not something that you can tell just by looking at someone, it's, um, you have to be much more intentional about being aware of the fact that people are different in that regard. And so you have an invisible disability that you talk about. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and, and how you even learned about it? Sure. So um, I do, I have ADHD. I was diagnosed much later in life, which 
tends to be, I think, common with a lot of people. If you're, you know, online at all, you'll see a lot of people are getting later diagnoses with ADHD, especially um, women, just because a way that we mask is with overachieving. So you don't have a lot of the same kind of telltale signs that, that people utilize to diagnose kids with ADHD. Um, but for me, I actually found out that I had ADHD in college. So in, in like grade school and everything, I was in talented and gifted programs. Um, so again, you know, missing those telltale markers that something might be going on. And so when I got to college, I actually filled out twice. So um, I couldn't really quite understand why I wasn't grasping things. I was having some challenges and issues there. Um, and I had a conversation with a counselor and they let me know that I had ADHD, but it wasn't until I wanted to go back to business school and I wanted to receive accommodations for that, um, that I got a formal diagnosis just because it's very expensive. So the barrier to even get that diagnosis isn't quite equitable. It costs about a couple thousand dollars to get, um, that formal testing. So, a couple things to unpack here. First, you use the term masking. Can you talk about what that means for folks who haven't haven't heard it or are not familiar with it? Sure. So um, masking is really just hiding maybe your authentic self. So you're trying to really conform to the norm of society. So things that would seem more normal to people, um, more mainstream, I guess. So a lot of times with ADHD, um, for example, a common one that you see in the workplace is people really enjoy small talk. So you want to ask about people's kids and what they did on the weekend. But with neurodivergent people, sometimes those like smaller conversations are very exhausting because we don't quite understand what the point is. <laughs> Got it. That's super helpful. And then the, mm-hmm. the other thing so that you talked about is the accessibility to even to even get the diagnosis. Is this an issue that you're seeing across mm-hmm. the board where, where people aren't even able to sort of understand this piece of themselves because of access to healthcare? Absolutely. I think that's a huge thing we see. And I think that's why the intersection of identities typically will come into play as well. So if we look at people's socioeconomic status, those who have the means to health insurance or, you know, a couple thousand dollars isn't going to hurt them. It's a lot easier for them to gain that diagnosis because they have the resources readily available to them. Um, A lot of other things you see too is even biases. So when we look at little brown and black children in school, if they're being, you know, disruptive, it's often seen as maybe a negative thing, but sometimes those same traits that we see with white children, they're being inquisitive or they're just kids or they're, you know, curious. And so those types of things I think are barriers to getting those diagnoses as well. Gosh, that is, we see, I know I see it a lot um, with my nieces and nephews where they are, you know, sometimes they exhibit certain traits or they behave in certain ways that, in other kids, it's to that point you just made, they get curious or they're like, well, what's going on here? Let's sit with them or give them accommodations that need to eat for certain things. But with the brown and black kids, like you, like you pointed out, you're not given the, that, that opportunity. You're not given the assumption of, we say assumption of, of goodwill in certain conversations, but it's that same assumption of this person is just exhibiting something, but there's not anything necessarily wrong. Let's get curious here to figure out what's really going on. We're always made to feel bad about those types of things when it's just a trait and we can get support for it. Right. Yeah. And I think one other thing Absolutely. that DT has touched on is this idea of intersectionality and, 
And I think what's really important about that is we are not one component of ourselves, right? We go back to the definition of diversity as being composed of differing elements. And, you know, this, the conversation around DEI has been so limited to single demographics and because the conversations have been dominated by race and gender and U S like those are the two biggest, you miss out on the other parts that make people who they are. And so I, I appreciate DT you bringing up this, this concept of even that bias around how the different behaviors show up. Um, um, I actually, we, we've dealt with this with, with my own son because he's an artist, he's very creative. He's not in a, tr- in a traditional school, he's not gonna like show up like other kids. And so then it's always like, oh, but does he have ADHD? Which brings me to a, a, another point, DT. We had looked and did some research uh, before uh, today and we see maybe 15 to 20% of the population um, has some form of uh, neurodivergent or invisible disabilities. And I think one of the things I've seen a lot lately, which makes me feel like it's a little bit disrespectful, is everyone's kind of self-diagnosing. And then it becomes, I think it drowns out folks who have a true diagnosis. So if you could first start off with what is ADHD and talk a little bit about this idea around some of the self-diagnosing that people do. Sure. So to your point, I think it can drown out people who have a more formal diagnosis. But truthfully, if we move towards more like universal standards for accommodations, it's going to be more beneficial anyways, because those people who maybe don't have the means to get that formal diagnosis are still going to benefit from universal accommodations. And so I think um, sometimes the people who are loudest in the room, it can get annoying, quite frankly, especially the ones that are self-diagnosed. But at the end of the day, I do think that it would be a benefit um, to everybody, you know. Um, And so with that, I would say I think we're seeing it because I think it's much more common than, you know, the percentages are stating. I think I looked up something and it said maybe like four to five percent of people have dyslexia. And that's the most common um, neurodivergent disorder, you know, amongst the U.S. And then after that was ADHD. um, And then after that was autism and autism is only like one to 2% of the population. I, I mean, I'm not a expert in, you know, stats or anything like that, but I just don't think that's true. Quite frankly, like when you think about people, when you think about autistic traits that we're learning about that maybe are more common, I mean, I don't know if you guys are on TikTok, but it's like crazy. Everyone is just taking these self-diagnosis tests and everyone's like, Oh my God, I'm autistic too. And it's like, it's almost trendy, you know, like I think right. people are really into it, but even if it wasn't, I do think it's much more than 1% of the population. Um, but with that, I will say, I think that we're not a monolith of people. So everyone's needs are very different. However, I do think that um, a lot of the accommodations, excuse me, would benefit a variety of different things. So a person with ADHD would benefit from being able to have autonomy in their day or even say in the workplace, having a focus day, but a person with autism would also benefit from having a day with no distractions. A person with dyslexia would also benefit from something like that because they're able to really focus, take their time in reading and doing what it is they need to do to really like digest whatever information it is that they're working on. So one of the things that we talked about, especially when we think about the the purpose of this podcast is really thinking about, a leader's role in DEI. And since 
you may not be able to see that someone has autism and you may not be able to see that someone has ADHD. Um, what should a leader even be looking out for if it's not something that an employee is, is uh, disclosing or should they be looking out for anything? Um, I, I think, you know, disclosing is a very personal choice for everyone. So I really respect whatever people choose to do. I choose to disclose because I think that as human beings, when we understand, we're much more accepting of things. So sometimes it's easier to give someone an explanation as to why you have certain mannerisms or traits or certain things might set you off. You're kind of building that connection. You're building a bridge. You know, um, I think it's much easier that way. But a lot of people, I think, are fearful of any sort of repercussions if they self-diagnose or, you know, any sort of hostility or anything like that. So I think it's very valid um, that people choose not to, especially older generations. I think there was a, a huge stigma with the word disability. There's a stigma with a lot of diagnoses that we get. But I really see with like Gen Z and um, even younger, you know, these kids are proud. They want those labels. They're very proud to share like the things that they're going through. So I think that we're going to see more of a shift in the workplace where people do um, disclose any sort of um, identity they have around disability. Um, and for leaders, I think that it's important to ask. Of course, you can't force anyone on a form to give you those types of um, traits or information or anything like that. But I think having that information about your employees will be helpful even in how you maybe set up meetings or how you choose to do like an all staff day, things like that. Like being intentional about maybe scheduling breakouts or quiet time or anything like that. If you are having an onsite all day meeting, it's going to be really helpful to people who are neurodivergent versus if you have no idea that, you know, you have people like that within the makeup of your team. You're just going to kind of power through and not really think about those things. So just to tie it, uh, tie it together with just one last question. If a, if a leader doesn't know, right, and an employee has chosen not to disclose and they're seeing behaviors that they think are unacceptable or deadlines aren't being met or things like that, is there anything a leader should do to explore whether or not neurodivergence is at play um, or not? I think that if leaders are kind of seeing that, but they're not sure about an employee, obviously we can't really touch on that with the employee, right? Legally, Natalie, you know, <laughs> but um, I would say that it's important to, instead of focusing on the employee, look at your process. Is your process rigid? Does your process have flexibility? Is your process for getting that work done allow any sort of different pathways to get to that deadline or get that work done? Because a lot of times, because things have been working so well for neurotypical people, we think of that as the standard. But it's like these minor changes we're able to make in our workflow will give you such great results. And it could be something so small that you change that will now all of a sudden your employees needing that deadline and you don't even have to worry about it. So that gets at this idea that we talk about a lot of being able to pivot, yep. right? So I think if we're even just reframing this question is if people aren't meeting your expectations, maybe be more inquisitive about why, right? So to, to DT's point of like, if there's only one path to get it done, you're going to end up with 
a lot of different results. But if you're not getting the result you're expecting and digging in, that curiosity, really important. So when we tie this all together, um, I think the, 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 one of the biggest sort of takeaways from today's episode is continue to be curious. I just said about four times in the last 30 <laughs> seconds. So, um, hopefully you heard you that. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, you know, we're not going to already always be able to see everything about a person. I think this conversation, I mean, obviously it centers around the idea of disabilities or neurodivergence, but that, that really goes to everything, right? You can't see someone's religion. You can't see sort of always what they're thinking inside their head. And so, so this gets at sort of this idea of make sure you explore. And then the second sort of key takeaway from today's episode is be willing to be creative about how to get to your goal, right? So not being stuck to one path that everybody has to follow the same path to, to, to meet expectations. DT, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yes. And we're always happy to have our audience and we'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.